Give us one hour and we'll help you change the way you think about happiness. Harvesting happiness with Lisa Cypress Kamen is fresh, optimistic, and purpose-driven talk radio that promotes happiness from the inside out. Each week, Lisa spotlights trendsetters and change agents who offer sound emotional fitness tips for improving mental muscle tone and greater well-being. Guest experts include a diverse and proactive collection of the greatest thinkers and doers who are devoting their lives to creating a better world in which to live. Your host, Lisa Cypress-Kamen, is a widely recognized applied positive psychology coach, author, documentary filmmaker, and lecturer specializing in the fields of sustainable happiness, mindfulness, and positive lifestyle management. Let's get to it. Here's Lisa. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening wherever you are. Welcome to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio, broadcasting consciously prepared brain food from the beaches of Malibu, California. Each week we explore the very serious business of happiness, sustainable well-being, and human flourishing. We are not talking about that annoying yellow smiley face. No, no, no. We are talking about something much deeper and critical to the success of humanity. Authentic happiness is not selfish, egotistical, or narcissistic. In fact, it is essential in order for humankind to thrive. Sustainable happiness is important because it not only elevates our own well-being locally, but also contributes to collective global flourishing. The achievement of a happy life is not only positively good for us, it is constructively good for those around us. In short, happiness matters. Happiness comes from the heart. And this show is most definitely all about the heart. Today, we are examining tribal medicine as alternative treatments for addiction and mental illness. My first guest is Rachel Harris, PhD. She is the author of Listening to Ayahuasca. Dr. Harris received a National Institute of Health New Investigators Award and has published more than 40 scientific in peer-reviewed journals Sorry, uh, uh, make a note here. Um, she has received a National Institute of uh, Start over again. I'm just going to start from the beginning with the bio. One, two, three. Dr. Rachel Harris is the author of Listening to Ayahuasca. She received a National Institutes of Health New Investigators Award, has published more than 40 scientific studies in peer-reviewed journals, and has worked as a psychological consultant to Fortune 500 companies and the United Nations. She lives on an island off the coast of Maine. Welcome, Rachel. Thank you very much. I'm glad to be here. Oh, I'm so glad to to have you. So let's talk a little bit about your new book, Listening to Ayahuasca, New Hope for Depression, Addiction, PTSD, and Anxiety. Yes. Let's talk about um, specifically ayahuasca. For many of our listeners, they might not have heard the term, and certainly they might not know what it is. Ayahuasca is a tea that's used in the uh, Amazon basin, in the rainforest, by indigenous peoples. And they use it basically as a medicine for a variety of, of problems. It, it will get rid of parasites, which is handy down there. And uh, it also gives them um, vision so they know where to hunt the next morning. And I, I've also heard just even recently that they somehow manage to hunt while they're um, under the effects of the medicine, which is uh, it's it's quite difficult to imagine because the medicine is very it's a very powerful psychedelic and uh for most of us westerners we need help getting to the bathroom during a ceremony so to go through the rainforest hunting is kind of beyond my imagination 
but you immediately begin to get a sense of how this tea is used differently by the indigenous peoples of the Amazon basin than, and versus how it's used by Westerners. And uh, it is entering into the, into all the developed nations of the world and Westerners are using it much differently. Um, in my research, I have learned that ayahuasca is used um, to treat depression, um, addiction, post-traumatic stress. This is a, really what the book is about. And talk a little bit about the ritual that is also associated with the taking of the medicine. Right. That's very important. But let, let me just say that um, the people who are seeking out these ceremonies from Western countries are on some kind of psycho-spiritual path. So it's not just that they have a psychiatric diagnosis and they're seeking healing. It's also people who are on a, following a spiritual path and feeling called to this medicine in, for some kind of deeper healing in their lives. Uh, and then there are the people who uh, are suffering with real psychiatric symptoms and have not been helped by Western medicine and they're seeking alternatives. And the, the, I, I want to answer your question because the ceremony is very important. It's a holistic experience. It's usually at night with a shaman who's very well trained. And um, the shaman sings throughout the night. And his he sings Icaros. That's the kind of sort of chanting, singing that he does or she does. And that guides the visions and the experience and the process of healing. And that's terrifically important. It's an integral part of the whole healing process. And when you speak of the the ritual, somebody can't just say, oh, I want to have a, an ayahuasca um, uh, dose. I mean, there's more to it than that. One doesn't just show up and say that. There is, there's preparation that occurs mentally, physically, and spiritually to be able to embrace the process. Right. And, and there's also screening that goes on. So if somebody has a history of uh, bipolar or m manic psychosis or any kind of schizophrenic psychosis, they are really not a good candidate. The risk is too high. And I, I really wouldn't recommend they take the chance. This is a powerful psychedelic uh, medicine and it's a, a grueling uh, kind of experience. So it, this is not something that's ever going to be um, misused in terms of a recreational drug. It's not that pleasant and, and you need to be near a bathroom. So that gives you a clue about the, it's called a purgative. That's how it works uh, to get the parasites out is there's often vomiting involved and or diarrhea. So this is not going to appear at music festivals where there aren't many bathrooms. So people are um, recommended to follow a very bland diet and uh, and mostly prepare in terms of their intention. But I also want to add that no matter how experienced somebody is, as they're preparing for a ceremony, most of us experience anxiety. Uh, it's a it's a. It, we don't always know what's going to happen. It's not always pleasant. I mean, sometimes the visions are delightful and sometimes they're not. And so there's generally anxiety going into this. So, you know, where we choose to enter into this altered state of this ritual and ceremony, it's very important that we feel safe and taken care of and trust the shaman who's doing it and trust the medicine that the shaman is, is giving to the people. 
Um, what inspired you to research ayahuasca use in America? Because that really is uh, what the book touches upon. That's exactly right. And uh, uh, my confession is I did not want to go to the South American jungle where, you know, the tarantulas are there and you have to check your shoes before you put them on. And you know, <laughs> I was interviewed by someone the other day who had been to the to the jungle to drink ayahuasca. And he went on and on about the dangers of the jungle. And it was like, well, I made a pretty good decision not to go there. <laughs> also, my, the questions I was asking were Western questions. I'm, I've been a psychotherapist all my life. And so I had questions about Western psychotherapy. And indigenous shaman, even if you translate the questions into Spanish, they don't really, they don't think in those terms. They're, they're, they're not they don't have that same perspective. They have their own cosmology about how this medicine works. And I can't say that I understand that. So I wanted to rely on my highest level of expertise. And that's with Westerners who are seeking psycho-spiritual healing. So that was why I focused it in North America. And by North American research, do you mean that you had interviewed people who had gone through the experience here or they had gone yeah, south the, and then returned? No, the criteria for, for the research study, and this, this uh, was a study of um, what happens after the ceremony was basically my research question. So I uh, about 81 people completed a 16-page questionnaire, which is really very comprehensive, and it included many essay questions that people were happy to complete and fill out. They really wanted to talk about their experiences and, and did not have an outlet for it. So, um, uh, it was, it was Westerners. If they had had one ayahuasca experience in North America, that's who, that was the criteria for the study. And for how many years did you track them? You know, I collected data for about three years, and then I tracked a handful, maybe about a dozen people, for six to eight years. I mean, there was this one one guy uh, who had a very difficult experience after the ceremony. He had a basically a, a panic attack and took himself to an emergency room, and I followed him up. It was five or six years later I, I contacted him. He was very surprised to hear from me, but I wanted to hear how did that resolve over that amount of time. I hadn't spoken to him in about four or five years, and he talked about the difficulties of that, and some of it was he went home and was alone, and so his anxiety spiked. So, you know, for... for um the ayahuasca community, we have to be very cognizant never to leave anybody alone who is still working through the ceremony or anxious in any way. But his perspective all these years later was it was a difficult time and it was very valuable. And well, you're going to. I'm going to jump in here because we're going to need to take a little break. And when we come back, we'll carry on the conversation with Dr. Rachel Harris, the author of Listening to Ayahuasca, New Hope for Depression, Addiction, PTSD, and Anxiety. To learn more, please visit the website, www.listeningtoayahuasca.com. On Facebook, the page is Listening to Ayahuasca with a hyphen between listening and after Two. Here comes the break. We'll be right back. And that is a promise. 
Wait, wait, wait. Before we take that break, I want to share a little retail happiness with you from FabFitFun, a seasonal subscription service that delivers joy in a box containing full-sized beauty, fitness, and lifestyle products. Four times a year, FabFitFun will indulge you with top-notch curated products from great luxury brands like Moroccan Oil, Dermalogica, Juice Beauty, Trinaturk, Millie, and more. FabFitFun boxes cost $49.99 and always contain more than $200 worth of pampering. Quantities are limited and seasonal selections are always a sellout. This is a great way to treat yourself to the most amazing products of the season. Check out www.fabfitfun.com and use the promo code HAPPINESS at checkout to save $10 off your first box. Once again, that's fabfitfun.com. And don't forget the promo code HAPPINESS. Now here come the tunes. We'll be right back. And that's a promise. We know that life can be tough and that happiness can and does live alongside adversity. Connect with us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness and follow Lisa on Twitter at Lisa Kamen for a daily dose of inspiration. We'll be right back after this quick break. Do you find yourself saying things like, I'll be happy when, or I'll be happy if? Does the finish line for happiness keep moving? Does the bar keep getting higher? What's getting in the way of your happiness right now? Too much going on? Working too much? Not working enough? Having too many responsibilities? Not having enough money, enough time, enough space? The list goes on and on. It becomes difficult to see all that we have if we focus on scarcity. One thing I know for certain, happiness waits for no one. And sometimes we all need support. Are We Happy Yet? is not another self-help book. It's a guidebook for learning how to harvest happiness through self-mastery, which is the key ingredient into building resilience, hardiness, grit, and emotional stability. Are We Happy Yet? Eight Keys to Unlocking a Joyful Life is available at Barnes & Noble, Amazon, IndieBound, and HarvestingHappiness.com. Each day we get to choose how we are going to show up for life. And at times, we need tips for strengthening our well-being. Learn training strategies for greater emotional fitness and improved mental muscle tone at HarvestingHappiness.com. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. If you're just joining us now, we are examining tribal medicine as alternative treatments for addiction and mental illness. My guest is Rachel Harris. She is the author of Listening to Ayahuasca, New Hope for Depression, Addiction, PTSD, and anxiety. Rachel, prior to the break, you were sharing a story of one of the participants in your research study years after he had taken ayahuasca and had a panic attack that sent him to the hospital. To the ER, yes. And, and of course, he was given a, uh, a, a tranquilizer, basically, which he didn't take. <laughs> so in the ah. moment, worked it through. But um, what he said about, yes, it was very difficult and it was very helpful, is is basically the same response I got when I went looking for people who had what's just generally called a bad trip of any sort. I had gotten such good reports from people, kind of what I call miracle cures in terms of depression and addictions and that sort of thing, that I actively went looking on top of the 81 people who were in the study. I interviewed another 50. I was specifically looking for people who'd had a bad trip. 
And what this one man said is what I heard pretty much across the board. It was grueling. It was difficult. It was challenging. I was miserable. I was anxious. And I learned a lot, and it was worth it. So that's that's a very interesting take, you know, looking back over what could be called a bad trip. And what's interesting in, in your description of all of that, I'm closing my eyes, I'm shaking my head as you're saying all these things. I have never taken ayahuasca, but I have given birth. And <laughs> and I'm Which thinking as you're just grueling and challenging. Exactly. And anxiety producing and, yes. <laughs> and 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 lasts a whole lot longer actually than the effects of ayahuasca, right? <laughs> you know, you, you yes. have the baby and, and that baby is yours forever. You're difficult to get rid of, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I'm, I say I, that I, as a mother, of course. <laughs> of course, of course, we're both moms, and and I say it lovingly and with a whole lot of humor. So definitely, but <laughs> the the idea of um, the human condition of finding it very challenging to bear our discomfort, and I think from the description that you've given and and watching some of your videos online. That's what pops into my mind. It's like if you know on the other side that you're going to have a clearing, a release, or a processing of something that was really complicated and holding you back, why wouldn't you uh, be willing to tolerate that discomfort? Well, you know, what what you're raising is the issue of an initiatory experience. And certainly giving birth is an initiation. We are changed forever afterwards. And uh, that is often the case as well with an ayahuasca experience. And, and it's, it's true with other psychedelic experiences as well. And people will often report their psychedelic experience as one of the five most important experiences of their lifetime. And I think giving birth would probably be in, in that category as well. And that's what, that's what uh, makes it an initiation. We go into the experience as one person and on the other side, we are forever changed. Yeah. And, and talk about your own experience with ayahuasca. And I, and I want to share with our listeners that, you know, Rachel said she's a mom and you're a mom of an adult child, right? So yes, yes. not She'll giving away, we're not giving away ages here, but, but I mean, I would say, with me. <laughs> but, but you, you know, you're a mature, like a real grown up, right? I'm 70. Yeah. So <laughs> One if I'm hope- not a grown up now, you know, I should be ashamed of myself. <laughs> if not now, then when? Right. Exactly. Um, what prompted you to take the medicine and talk a little bit about your own experience? Well, you know, I really, the advice I give is be very careful, you know, wait to be called, wait till you intuitively feel it's the right time for you in your life. People report having dreams about ayahuasca before they've even um, tried it. Uh, so there's a sense of being called and being very careful about the situation you choose to put yourself in. I cannot tell you that's how I did it. I was looking for a beach vacation in the winter. I was living in New Jersey. It was February. I needed, you know, sunshine. And I signed up for a retreat in Costa Rica. I didn't even pay attention to the um, language that they used in the description of the retreat or who was going to be there. A few days before I left for, for Costa Rica, I get a phone call that says, do you want to participate in the ceremonies? And I brilliantly said, what ceremonies? So I had no idea what I was signing up for. And of course, it wasn't made explicit in the public information. 
Um, so I realized what it was. I explored it. I learned about it. And I went on full faith that this would be a legitimate setting. And for the most part, it was not as legitimate as I would like, um, but it was legitimate enough. At least it was safe. And the experience I had, and this is the really only time when I went in with an intention that really guided the experience. And that was that my dad had died under hospice care about seven years before. And I'd had an an out-of-body experience that scared scared me terribly in the last 36 hours or so of his dying process. You know, it was a very intense emotional time. Uh, You know, I was listening to his, um, his death rattle for a day and a half or so. It's a very emotional time. It was in my own home. And all of a sudden I leave my body and I'm shooting up into outer space basically. And I was terrified. I kind of caught myself, brought myself back down, sat down, had, you know, a cup of tea and toast and just kind of tried to ground myself. But I always felt unfinished during this time. So in my very first ayahuasca experience, I went back to those last hours with my father <clears throat> and so I was able to to have again, I mean, to live through, I was living it during the ceremony, my last few words with my dad before he slipped into a coma. You know, it's those last words of I love you. And it was so meaningful to me to have that experience. And then I once again shot out of my body up into the cosmos. But this time I wasn't afraid. I, I had asked for this. And I had this ecstatic experience of 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 the the dark space, you know, with just glimmers of stars. And it's not even that I had this experience. There was no I to have the experience. I was there was no separation between me and the universe. And so it was an ecstatic experience. And I don't know how long this went on. Eventually, I kind of came back to myself in my body during the ceremony. And so that was, it was a psychological healing with my father and it was an ecstatic mystical experience. And that's part of what really connected me to this medicine. Wow. Um, What do you most hope readers will take away from your book, listening to ayahuasca? Well, you know, I, I write it as the therapist as well as a researcher. And what I, there's After the ceremony is this wonderful, flexible, open time. I call it the golden days, uh, hours, days, and weeks after a ceremony where there's enormous personality flexibility. And it's an opportunity to really uh, work on our old histories and how who we want to be in the world, make new neurological connections. And I recommend therapy during, you know, those weeks after a ceremony. It's such a fertile time for change and healing. So the idea of using ayahuasca as a medicine to address depression, addiction, post-traumatic stress and anxiety, uh, and probably a whole host of other um, uh, diagnoses, the the concept is to use the medicine as a portal to healing. This is that's a I great word. I, I hear you say. Yeah, that's a great. It's an opportunity, and it does open those doors to healing, to communication with people who have crossed over, and who have died. I mean, there are many different aspects of healing that happen with this medicine. 
We are nearly out of time, and I wanted to ask you one more question or bring up one more point about the integration of the experience. And you mentioned or suggested um, psychotherapy in the days after um, taking the medicine. And I think it's really important and responsible to reiterate that. Thank you. Yes, integration after ceremonies is generally considered you know, do some yoga, maybe write down your dreams, write in your journal, walk in the woods, you know, take your time. And that's very important, too. But it's not the depth work that's possible with ongoing psychotherapy after after a ceremony. It's the ongoing psychotherapy where real depth work can be done. And you mentioned the use of the medicine as a purgative and, and all the uh, f- uh, physical things that go on in the process. But we're also really metaphorically talking about an emotional purgative as well. Yes, there's a a cleansing and kind of an opportunity that the colloquial term is to reset, you know, to reorganize ourselves, to start fresh and clean. It's a chance for, for change. My guest today has been Dr. Rachel Harris. She is the author of Listening to Ayahuasca, New Hope for Depression, Addiction, PTSD and anxiety. This is a very well-researched and thought about book. Thank you for writing it, Rachel, to learn more and to get connected with Dr. Harris. Please visit her website, listening to ayahuasca.com. And on Facebook, you could also find her at listening to ayahuasca. And there is a hyphen after listening and um, after too. And thank you for being with us and and sharing your experience and your research and opening our eyes and mind to some of the mysteries of the vine. Thank you so much, Lisa. Glad to be with you. Thank you. We'll be right back. Nothing gives happiness like a free gift. Unwrap your present by signing up for Happiness Headlines, our monthly e-zine at HarvestingHappiness.com. Stay tuned for more after the break. One thing I know for certain, happiness waits for no one, and sometimes we all need support. We all have the freedom to be happy or the liberty to be miserable each day, regardless of external circumstance. Sure, things will inevitably happen in our lives that are out of our control. There is only ever one thing that is totally within our control, ourselves. When we have command of ourselves, we are better prepared to handle life and bounce back more quickly when challenges arise. Whether you see the glass as half empty or half full, the glass has the capacity to hold more. You have the capacity to be happier. The tool to harvesting your happiness is within your grasp. Are we happy yet? Eight Keys to Unlocking a Joyful Life is available at Barnes & Noble, Amazon, IndieBound, and HarvestingHappiness.com. Each day, we get to choose how we are going to show up for life. And at times, we need tips for strengthening our well-being. Learn training strategies for greater emotional fitness and improved mental muscle tone at HarvestingHappiness.com. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. If you're just joining us now, we're continuing our conversation about examining tribal medicine as alternative treatments for addiction and mental illness. My next guest is Dr. Octavio Redig Hinojosa is a Mexican doctor who works with the sacred medicine 5-MeO-DMT, which is found in the secretions of the Sonoran Desert Toad. 
Dr. Reddick has worked with the Seri tribe of Sonora, Mexico to help treat methamphetamine addicts, reintroducing this ancient medicine, actually, to the local culture that has lost it. Octavio has learned the ancient songs and rites of the Seri from Don Pancho, an elder shaman, and has been authorized by the Council of the Seri Elders to use this most powerful shamanic medicine in the West. And he is working or collaborating with global physicians on bringing this medicine and ancient technology to people around the world who are interested in curing their addictions. Welcome, Dr. Reddick. Thank you. Uh, thank you for the opportunity. It's a pleasure to, to share this subject about Sonoran Desert Talk with you. I am very interested. I should also mention that you are the author of the book, The Toad of Dawn. For anybody who is interested to really go more deeply into the exp- exploration of this, I encourage you to read the book. Let's talk about the role of ancient medicine in modern times. <clears throat> well, um, the um, explosion <clears throat> of the interest about the sacredness of, of the earth it's uh, all over the world. We can see on the last decades how the reintroduction to the Western uh, culture about the ancient traditions of the uh, native uh, tribes uh, of the world and the sacred medicines, just like ayahuasca and yopo and peyote, are having a real impact on the consciousness of uh, our society and are helping to uh, develop uh, 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 the awareness of the importance of the respect uh, of the environment and nature and the great, the, the, the beautiful gift that uh, the universe uh, has provided to us. And I think that the uh, search of uh, love and identity and inner peace is something that we were looking for many years outside, trying to fit on the exterior world. But I think that these medicines uh, connect people with the inner being. So I think that um, it's necessary to uh, create a culture of understanding better what these ancient technologies of the earth uh, can bring to to us. Um, For those of you who may not be familiar with some of these ancient medicines, ayahuasca being one of them, ayahuasca has been in the news quite a bit recently, in recent years. Um, In fact, there have been television shows devoted to people who have gone down to South America to have the medication administered to help them uh, cure their addiction. It also has been found helpful for depression, post-traumatic stress, and other emotional disorders. And I, I believe the sacred medicine that you're working with, it is uh, separate in its properties, but similar, uh, the people seek it out to end their suffering, to get become more connected and at home within themselves. Absolutely. All these uh, medicines belong to the same family, and uh, one of the most um, remarkable ancient medicines is uh, the bark of the of the of the bush of iboga. This African root has uh, shown 
that is the best treatment for people who have addiction to heroin and opioids. And there is many clinics uh, working in Mexico and many different countries that are treating uh, all these uh, cases of people with these uh, horrible uh, results of the intoxication of our bodies. But this is not only for the illegal substances. Uh, these medicines can heal the heart of people. And I think that can bring back uh, that sense of uh, inner peace. And I think that we are so lost as a society on the consumism and the pollution of our environment that we need to take time to remember uh, who we really are and where we came from and where are, are we going. So it's uh, important to set the fact that now <clears throat> people are doing new research with psilocybin, treating post-traumatic disorder and depression and anxiety. But all these uh, illnesses are just a product of how we are living our lives, our habits. So I think that education in the daily lifestyle will have an impact on the quality of life, not only for humans, but also for the entire ecosystem. So I think that uh, the problem of the addictions is beyond the substances. We are addicts also to suffering, to pain, to money, to sex. Uh, <clears throat> everything that gives us pleasure can be a tool that we use so often that, that can drain our energy and our time. But the real problem right now with the uh, global pandemia about the intoxication of the youth people with all the synthetic drugs and stimulants uh, can be treated with uh, <clears throat> a lot of efficiency and less impact in our environment with all the sacred medicines. So, yeah, there is... Uh, uh, a lot of projects working with ayahuasca, even in jails in Brazil, treating all, all the anger and all the, the frustration that people have and all the resentment against the, themselves and also the society. So I think that it's important that we can open our minds and our heart and remember that we are part of nature and we evolve with this planet because of our habits and our actions and our diet. So if we want to have a better quality of life and be free, we need to uh, have, uh, I think, the, the rescue of all these ancient lost traditions that some tribes of the world kept alive. And we can see that these uh, tribes are the perfect example that it is possible to live uh, in a friendly a symbiosis with the, the nature that we don't need to explode and overexplode and destroy and pollute to get healthy. I think that we are sick because our habits and if we want to achieve um, the healing is not only for the individual, it's also for the society and also for uh, everything around us. 
You bring up a very good point about, well, multiple good points, but the two that I, I want to touch upon are going back to addiction as being uh, symptomatic of a greater problem, that, that, that the problem lies beneath the substance use and abuse. The addiction is something else that it, you know, is a, it's a, in my mind and what I've seen in my daily practice, very much a, a spiritual sickness, a disconnection from the self, a disconnection. Absolutely from society, from the tribe, which is leading me into the second part of what I really hear you saying is that they, um, the tribal aspect and the ritualistic procession that takes place with the, um, with the use of these medications is part of the cure, you know, bringing people back into the fold, into being interconnected and interdependent with community. Absolutely. And giving back the power to people, that uh, healing is a natural, automatic process. And people with this medicine are doing healing by themselves. It's not the doctor. It's not the medicine. It's the work that they are doing with the medicine. So it's really important, as you say, the ritual and the set and setting. But this is not only about dress like this, sing this, act like that. It's about creating the whole culture, about understanding that we are our food, we are our medicines, we are everything, we are the nature. And I think that all these neurotransmitters, all these sacred plants that we ingest and have some kind of impact in our consciousness is because we are already prepared for that. It's not by coincidence or chance that this is happening. These molecules are the master key that can open those locks that we all have inside of us. I've seen with, through the work with this medicine, uh, healings are of synthetic drug addictions as crystal meth, crack cocaine, uh, alcohol, but also prescription pills. I've seen a lot of people who is intoxicated because they start with one diagnosis, taking one or two pills, and after a few years, they are, ta they are taking 20 pills, and now they have five diagnoses. And I've seen people being healed with the, the, the process of taking this medicine, breathing this, this steam that comes from this unique toad that you just uh, squeeze the gland, you just drive that secretion, and that's the medicine. No one needs to manufacture to make any kind of uh, process for getting this medicine. So I believe uh, one of my hypotheses in my book is that the ancient mythology about the feather serpent, Quetzalcoatl, that was among all the, the, the cultures in Mesoamerica, are related directly with the state induced by the Bufus alberius or and Desert Toad. Mm. So mm. I think that this concept about the center of the world or the five cardinal points is not something that it's a geographical point or that it's even outside of the self. This is something that was, uh, it was so repetitive in all these cultures. They live hundreds of years in the between. They spoke different languages, but all of them were talking about the same, the same effigies, the same mm. ideas, the same ideals also. So I think that in the past, politics, society, religion, and culture was the product of 
our interaction with our environment. So mm -hmm. I think that after pre-humans stop eating just raw food because we start handling the fire, then we start not only uh, changing our, our meals with the cooked food, but also we, we start to alternate our senses, not only with the things that we were eating or rubbing in our skins, but also with the things that we start to smoking, to breathe. Yes. So... Octavia, we're going to need yeah. to go to a break. So just okay. hang on. I want to continue this conversation because what you're sharing is, is important and very interesting. To learn more about the work of Dr. Octavio Rettig Hinojosa and his book, The Toad of Dawn, please visit him on Facebook at Octavio Hinojosa and on Facebook as well. The page is O-T-A-C, the film. On Twitter, you can find him at Doctor, that's D-R-O-T-A-C. And on YouTube, he's got a channel, Octavio Rettig. Here come the tunes. We will be right back, and that's a promise. Who says money can't buy happiness? Check out Lisa's new book, Are We Happy Yet? Eight Keys to Unlocking a Joyful Life, and other fun, fashionable, and inspiring items at shophappy at harvestinghappiness.com. We'll be right back after this quick break. Do you find yourself saying things like, I'll be happy when, or I'll be happy if? Does the finish line for happiness keep moving? Does the bar keep getting higher? What's getting in the way of your happiness right now? Too much going on? Working too much? Not working enough? Having too many responsibilities? Not having enough money, enough time, enough space? The list goes on and on. It becomes difficult to see all that we have if we focus on scarcity. One thing I know for certain, happiness waits for no one. And sometimes we all need support. Are We Happy Yet? is not another self-help book. It's a guidebook for learning how to harvest happiness through self-mastery, which is the key ingredient into building resilience, hardiness, grit, and emotional stability. Are We Happy Yet? Eight Keys to Unlocking a Joyful Life is available at Barnes & Noble, Amazon, IndieBound, and HarvestingHappiness.com. Each day we get to choose how we are going to show up for life. And at times we need tips for strengthening our well-being. Learn training strategies for greater emotional fitness and improved mental muscle tone at HarvestingHappiness.com. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. If you're just joining us now, we are exploring the uses of ancient medicines in modern times for healing addiction. And with me today is Dr. Octavio Rettig Hinojosa. He is the author of The Toad of Dawn. He is a Mexican physician working with physicians around the world to um, highlight and raise awareness of the uses of these ancient medical traditions or medicinal traditions to heal addiction and other afflictions of us humans. So Octavio, prior to the break, you were talking about the molecules that we started to be, to talk about the molecules that exist within these uh, medications that make it different than the uh, manufactured or man-made drugs that people are becoming addicted to. And, and I'd love to know what happens in the brain what is going on with the molecules that makes it difference, uh, makes the difference? 
Okay, well, uh, these molecules are related with all the neurotransmitters, the uh, chemical messengers that our brain, uh, our bodies use for uh, transmitting the messages. So the tryptamines, that it's one of the families that all the intergenes uh, belong, are occur in all nature. These tryptamines become from tryptophan, that it's an essential amino acid. That means that practically it's everywhere. So 5-MeO-DMT is an endogenous tryptamine. It's something that our bodies are it's already producing. Our bodies also produce NNDMT and another kind of tryptamines. And these tryptamines also it's, are also present in all the mammals and, and in many plants. So it's like uh, one of the um, uh, structural uh, ingredients of our existence. It's something that um, it's uh, primal in our mm -hmm. functions. Mm -hmm. And uh, how these medicines work, it's making a match with the receptors that we already have for these molecules. And then there is a cascade, uh, a release of serotonin and dopamine and another uh, um, neurotransmitters that for the people can, can, can be manifested as a release of all the tension, repressed feelings and emotions that we are carrying in our, mem uh, in our mem cell memory, in our, in our cells. Um, and, hang on yeah. one second. I think it's important to mention that when we are seeking out um, drug uses, self-medicating with, with drugs, we are getting the brain or the brain becomes um, uh, adapted to uh, the dopamine, getting co continual hits of dopamine. Because we are wired for pleasure, we humans are adverse to pain that when the brain gets used to receiving these drugs and the release of dopamine that comes from the pharmaceutical, that in addiction, it's my understanding, and correct me if I'm wrong, that the brain then takes over. And in, <clears throat> that's what causes the addiction. So yeah. in, in the midbrain... The, the, the brain is trying to protect himself, and it's taking this as an aggression of the, of the environment. That's why some drugs cause tolerance, but there is other many different substances that cause no any tolerance. And 5-MeO-DMT is one of those substances. It doesn't matter how many times you have the medicine. It doesn't matter how much of the medicine you will have. You will always have the effect of the medicine on you. So I think that how these medicines work and why these medicines affect people in their behavior is something that we will start to understand better with the time. Because for the last four years has been a prohibition about all the research done with these kind of chemicals. Everything was forbidden, putting in a bag, and it was the same heroin as cocaine, as peyote, and the same. All is forbidden, all is bad, don't do it because you will go crazy, and blah, blah, blah. And we mm -hmm. can see the result of that policy. We can see all the streets flooded with all these uh, non-regulated substances, all these chemicals that were developed in some kind of lab for other uses as war, as other kind of, of uh, intention beyond the health of people. So I think that the first thing that we need to do is to start to learn the differences between the different molecules. And that it's not the same 
uh, man-made drug that a natural substance. But also in natural substances, there are things that are dangerous and are poison, and things that are not dangerous and are not poison. And we are doing the first steps to mm-hmm. to re um, reconfigure all these knowledge because we are the society of fear. We are the society of the double moral. We are the society of the hypocrisy. And it's time to start talking with the truth. It's time to learn to teach the kids that smoking cigarettes is bad, but smoking weed is not that bad as people thought 30 years ago. And I think that all those changes about how people conceive nature are already started all over the world. We can see now the change in the in the in the laws about the cannabis and how the mushrooms or the iboga or the ayahuasca can be used for treating many different disorders. But I think that the biggest gift for this for, uh, by give, the, the the greatest gift of these medicines to humans is to remember that we are already here that mm-hmm. we are already the happiness, that there is nothing that we need to do to achieve happiness, that happiness live inside of us because we are that, we are cosmic orgasms, having this uh, incarnation in a physical human body, but we are really spirits that are uh, learning and evolving, and the consciousness of the self is just a trap and just an illusion. It doesn't matter how good you are in your life, it's just still being you, and that is not what we need to change our history, our civilization. So I, I, I really believe that many research, many studies will be done about why the people who is taking Iboga or Ayahuasca or the Toad Medicine are having all these uh, shifts in their life. But the evidence is there. The people is having the transformation in their lives. And it's not because of the shaman. It's not because of the chant. It's not because of the song. It's because of the medicine that people are taking. But the medicine is not the cure. The people need to do the work. And beyond the physical body, it's our spiritual integrity. I think that we are going back to the same place that that we belong. That it's love, infinite love, energy, sound, vibration, and happiness. And we are already that. So I think that these medicines can make everyone, it's like uh, having a slap on the face. Hey, wake up, wake (laughs) up, wake up. We're already here. You don't need to go and treat yourself bad. You don't need to go and work too hard. You are already here. We all are already here. And this is all we have. So we can just celebrate this life and do something beautiful forever with it or just still making more questions to find some answers that are not important because we are already wasting our time. (laughs) Uh, Let me ask you a couple of questions about the secretions of the Sonoran Desert Toad, which is the the host of 5-M-E-O-D-M-T. The glands... Uh, in the in the throat of the of the frog are where are where no. the all, no? all the glands are located uh, on different pairs all over the skin of the toad. Mm-hmm. The toad has two main glands um, 
on the parotid glands uh, behind the eyes, but they also have uh, glands on the upper extremities and the, the, the lower body. So these glands are refilled naturally every six weeks. This uh, substance is a protection for the toad, but the toad and the, 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 the molecule is not uh, dangerous for domestic animals and not also for humans, but it's not the, the substance that we are uh, using for healing. The, the dried secretion needs to be burned and the fire shifts one molecule to another molecule. Mm. So that's why leaking a toad is just a myth. And that's why people in the past used the sweating lodges and these uh, rooms for breeding because this was used as an incense. And people were just breeding this inside of, of, the, of the saunas and they were just uh, with all the different plants having uh, detoxifications and deep purifications, but also the reconnection with the source. It's really interesting that some people call 5-MeO-DMT as the God molecule. And I think that it's because it's not that you are watching a guy with beard and white hair sitting on a chair and you say, oh, that's God, I was looking for you. It's because <laughs> when you feel that infinite love inside of yourself, the only thing that you can say is, oh my God. Mm. And it's something that uh, it will stay with you forever. This experience lasts 20 minutes, the effects of the medicine, but you will have the ability to reconnect with this, this, the same space and the same place naturally by your own, with your own breath. So that's something beautiful. I've seen people uh, meditating 20 years, and after the told medicine, they say, yes, I got it. I finally got it. I, I get there. And three days later, they are, oh, and I was back there. So this is amazing. And yeah, uh, uh, excuse me, it is amazing. Um, we are nearly out of time. And before we go, I want to ask you how the, how the medication is administered for somebody who wants to end his or her addiction. Okay, depends on the person and how long they they are exposed. Uh, they the, the the time of exposure exposure of to the substances, but around one to seven sessions with the medicine, people will get rid out of their old patterns of mm. behavior, and it's not only about quitting or stopping using just one substance. The substance is just a symptom, a symptom of something bigger. People can't stop drinking, but they still being maniacs. People stop uh, being neurotic, but they still being compulsive liars. I, I, I mean, the, the addiction is just a symptom of something deeper and bigger. Sometimes people don't know what it is, where, what, where this came from but they are carrying it. And we need to heal ourselves. The only, the only one that has those powers is every single person on this planet. Yeah. And if we want to have a better planet, we, start, we need to start 
doing the work by ourselves instead of waiting for someone else to doing the work by, by, by us. So this is really important because give back the, the, to people the power to change their lives. We all are the love and we can have a better life today. We are just a breath away of, 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 that, uh, of that moment. Beautifully said. We are we are going to need to go, but before we do, one more thing before I give your contact information again is if somebody is seeking the um, this medicine, you know, the ancient medicine to help with addiction or any other emotional affliction, one I would believe needs to be very careful where and to whom you go to. Absolutely. There is so much uh, charlatans and fake people trying to to make profit with the people needs and just be careful uh look um who are you trusting and who are you putting your your life and your your health because uh it th- th- there is also different people using different substances and i've se- i've seen people who thought that they consumed one thing and they were consuming another thing. So if someone is interested in receiving this medicine, they can be in touch with directly with the Seri community, with Abuelo Pancho, with some of the elders of the community, or with myself. There is other practitioners using this medicine uh, all over the world. There, there is the Crossroad Clinic in, in Rosarito, Baja California, with uh, Dr. Uh, Joseph Peter Barzuglia and Dr. Martin Polanco. There is also Dr. Gerardo Sandoval Isaac with his project, Buffo Salvarius Ranch. And there is also the OTAC Foundation. There is Annie Ortiz. There is, I mean, there is so, it's a long list of people who is working with this medicine, uh, seriously, that they have, uh, a background and a reputation. And I think that, uh, just, uh, Watch out and be careful with uh, the people who are trying to help you. You will help yourself. No one can help you. If you want to be helped, then you just need to go and do the medicines. You need to try the medicines. We have flown through another hour of purpose-driven media designed to inspire and delight you, our listeners, to create more joy in your lives and within your communities. Here are a few thoughts before we part. Happiness is not a destination. It cannot be bought, sold, or traded. Happiness will never invite you to the party. It simply comes down to a choice to show up each and every day in the world with passion, purpose, place, and meaning. Thanks for joining us on Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. This is Lisa Cypress-Kamen and my guests today, Dr. Rachel Harris and Dr. Octavio Redig Hinojosa, wishing you Kind thoughts, kinder words, and the kindest of actions. Until next time, remember, happiness is an inside job. Happiness is your inside job. Go out and rock your day. Thanks for joining us on Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio with Lisa Cypress-Kamen. Join us each and every Wednesday for a brand new episode of Consciously Curated Talk Radio from the Heart. Keep harvesting your own happiness anytime from the comfort of wherever you are with hundreds of free downloadable podcasts from our libraries on Toginet, iTunes, and SoundCloud. In a complicated world seemingly driven by nonstop negative news, Lisa's mission is to celebrate the upside of life and seek the silver lining of our challenges by transforming them into uplifting growth opportunities for all. 
To learn more about Lisa's global consulting services, please visit HarvestingHappiness.com. Spread more joy by liking us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness and following Lisa on Twitter at Lisa Kamen. Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio is produced in collaboration with Toginet Radio, KBUU, RadioMalibu.net, and is available on PRX, the public radio exchange.